Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving, a holistic lifestyle and wellness podcast that's here to help you become the healthiest, happiest, most aligned version of yourself. I'm your host, Ava, a registered dietitian in training and health and wellness junkie. I'm so excited to have you here as I dive deep into meaningful conversations covering topics from nutrition and mental health to spirituality and self-development and everything in between with experts in many fields. I'm so happy you're choosing to learn how to thrive today. Let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Thoughts on Thriving. I am so excited for today's episode. We have on the lovely Victoria Jane, and I always talk about human design as a concept on the podcast, but I thought I would finally bring on a human design expert to talk about it with us and really dive deep into what human design is, what the different energy types are, and to just kind of give us a broad overview of human design so that when I keep bringing it back up, at least some of us can be familiar with it. So Victoria is a human design coach whose mission is to guide growth-oriented humans to live with less hustle and more flow. After a decade in Silicon Valley, Victoria found herself burnt out, dealing with chronic health issues, and searching for a way to live in ease. And as she searched for how to heal not just her body, but her spirit, she discovered her human design. So today she's passionate about sharing human design so you can confidently live your truth. And that's really what we get at in this episode today. I'm so, so excited for you all to learn about it and let me know what you think. And before we get into the episode, this is just a reminder to follow us on Instagram at thoughts.on.thriving and leave a review of the podcast and rate it, give it a five-star rating if you can, so that we can get the word out to more and more people. And as always, share the episode if you like it with your friends, put it on your Instagram story, and let me know what you think. I love receiving your feedback and would love to hear what you think of this episode. And before we get into the episode, one last thing. This episode is sponsored by Magic Mind. Magic Mind is the world's first productivity drink, and I've been taking it every single day now for quite some time, so I can't wait to tell you guys about it in the middle of the episode, but you'll hear more on that later. All right, without further ado, here is my interview with Victoria Jane. Hello, Victoria. Welcome to Thoughts on Thriving. I'm so excited to have you here to talk all about human design with my audience today. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So I came to you because I talk about human design quite a bit. I know I haven't had this podcast for that long, but I feel like I bring it up in almost every episode and people keep asking me what it is, what it's all about, how to get to know your design a little bit better. So I thought I'd have an expert on like you to kind of walk us through what human design is. But before we start talking about human design and the experiment, could you just start by telling us a little bit about your background, maybe how you grew up, what kind of led you to become a human design expert today? Yeah, yeah. I feel like my whole life has been a journey. Maybe up until this point, I, well, some like background stuff. I grew up in California. Um, My parents are Chinese American immigrants. And I think like there was just a strong emphasis on achievement and like academic success. Um, I think, do you you go to um, UC Berkeley or did you? So 
I went to UC Berkeley. Yeah, I also grew up in California and I had yeah, very so like, similar parents, immigrants who... Yes, yeah, so you know what it yeah. feels like. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I and we'll get into this more too, uh, but I'll just share now my in human design, I'm a projector. And so there's a really, there's always been a really strong pull for me to be like, oh, I feel seen when I, you know, get the A or do the thing really well. And that was all fine and good. And of course there were a lot of, a lot of lessons and things that I'm grateful for out of that experience. Um, but, you know, fast forward graduating school and then ending up in, in tech and being in really fast paced, intense startup environments. And eventually I had um, different chronic health issues pop up. And at the time I was like, I don't understand why this is happening. Like everyone else seems to be doing the exact same thing. And I'm so healthy. I was meditating every day and riding my bike to work and doing yoga. And, you know, my, my general practitioner at the time was like, oh, you're just, you're just stressed. And I was like, the, I no, <laughs> right? <clears throat> like I'm not any more quote stress than anyone else around me. Um, and again, it felt like I was doing everything right. Um, and then I discovered human design and it offered such a comp compelling explanation for not just like some of the acute things that were happening, but also how I had felt my whole life around, you know, why maybe it was uncomfortable to like insert myself into a situation and why it felt better to be invited. And you know, why words of affirmation are so huge for me as a projector. Um, so the more I learned about my design and just how it really opened up permission for me to be myself, the deeper I went. And uh, after a few years of, you know, trying to figure out all the health stuff really came down to like, it's, it's time to change the environment um, that I was working in. And so I left uh, tech at the beginning of 2020 and have been sharing human design with people uh, since then. So I'm a, a coach and a guide and I teach other coaches how to use human design because really I think it's just such a, a powerful system to understand how you work, how your energy works, um, you know, how to make aligned decisions and tune into your intuition. So we'll, we'll get into all of that, but that's some background on me. Awesome. Yeah. There's so many things I could unpack just even in your little introduction about yourself. I think that's so brave of you to just kind of take that step and that leap away from tech, which is, you know, a very reliable career, a very secure career, something that people kind of look up at and to move into this space that a lot of people might question. A lot of people probably don't even know, you know, what is and to really take that leap of faith. And I just want to kind of hone in on that for a second, because I have a lot of people who are listening to this who may hate their jobs, they may be trying to figure out what to do with their lives. Do you have a piece of advice for someone who's trying to maybe do something for themselves, become an entrepreneur, leave that job in corporate America or tech or something like that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, gosh, when you ask that question, I just think of myself in like 2017, you know, and I'm like, oh, because I, I can remember how hard it felt, right? When it's like, you know, something doesn't feel aligned and it doesn't feel comfortable and, you know, whether or not your health is fine, but it's just like frustrating. Right. And, and I've been in that place where like, and this is like the, the recovering achiever in me, that's like, okay, well like go do something about it. Right. I can't tell you how many, um, different like grad school, uh, program, like, you know, like Teach for America, Peace Corps, like all these things that I applied for and then didn't do just because I was so restless about like 
how am I going to make an impact on society? Right. So, so actually my advice to my former self slash anyone for whom this might feel relevant is really just like, you will know when you're ready and not, you can't force it. And it's not a moment sooner. And even if you're going to the job that you don't, you know, you know, isn't right for you or something isn't, isn't clicking, like it still might not be time yet. And how can you have compassion, self-compassion in those moments too? Mm, I love that. I love that idea of taking it slow and not forcing yourself to make that change before it's time. Cause I think a lot of people want to kind of just jump the gun and quit their jobs. And then they have no idea what to do after. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even, cause I can even imagine myself a few, not that long ago hearing that and be like, I don't want to take it slow. Right. So, you know, the, the reframe maybe is like that everybody has their own unique timing and like you just gotta, you just gotta trust that it's, I believe that the universe is conspiring for us. So, you know, I believe that as well. I love it. Um, and that kind of brings us into human design a bit, because I think everyone has different ways to kind of tune into the universe's energy. I know there's different, I mean, there's different types for everything. There's energy types and lines, and we'll get into all of that. But before we get into the nitty gritty, could you just kind of describe human design for people who have never heard of it before? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a system that describes how your energy works, um, how people feel you, like, do they feel you as a, a warm, inviting energy? Are you a little bit more like harder to read? And then it also gives, so there's five types within human design. That's kind of like the highest level. Um, but there's something like 2 billion unique combinations of the details of your chart. So, you wow. know, how deep you want to go, but let's start at type five different types. And each type has what's called a strategy. So it gives you a way to move through life where you're less trying to push and in resistance and more like, Hey, here's the strategy for your type to, to find flow in life. Um, and then it also human design also gives you the voice of your intuition. So what's your authority? How, what do you tune into within yourself to make decisions? Some people are good at spontaneous decisions and then over 50% of the population, for example, actually needs time to, to think on it. Well, not really think, but to, to feel into it. Um, so those are some examples to ground kind of the abstract and then the the technical, like, where does it come from, all that stuff. Um, human design uses four different systems, the chakra system, the I Ching, the Kabbalah, and uh, the tree of life, and combines them with uh, modern, with physics. And that's what plays into, like, what you actually see when you pull up your chart. And it's a relatively new system. It was channeled in the late 80s uh, by a man named Ra Aruhu. So, you know, depending on who I talk to, some people are like, oh, cool. Yeah. Channeled system. All good. Um, and then there are the skeptics and, you know, I never want to tell anyone what to believe. I just start with like, we'll learn a little bit about your design and see how it works for you. And mm. even the people now that are skeptics in my life, they still want to talk to me about their design because it's, it works for them. Right. So yeah, um, that's the origin story, which you can take or leave depending on your comfort level. Cool. I didn't know it was so new compared to other things like astrology and things like that. So that's really interesting. I often hear human design referred to as the human design experiment. I alluded to this a little bit earlier. Could you kind of explain that a bit for those listening? Why is it an experiment? Yeah. So 
I mean, imagine someone came to you and they were like, hey, here's a playbook on how you work. And you're like, okay, I'm going to, like in your case, you're an MG, right? So, yeah. and you're an emotional authority. So you're here to yeah. respond to things. Um, and you're also meant to really wait for like that moment where you're like, okay, I'm sure, right? Uh, but me telling you these things in the abstract, like these guidelines, maybe, or however you want to call it, is not like you haven't embodied it, right? So we use the language of like, this is your human design experiment because you get to take these kind of principles that human design will give you, but you have to live it to really experience like, does this work for me or not, right? And have you found that with some of your clients, maybe some things don't work for them? So here's an example. Like I'm really interested in, in food and health and nutrition and me too. <laughs> well, and we were talking about this. You're not hundred percent sure on your birth time. So I don't know. Yeah. It's yeah. so unfortunate. No worries. Well, so one example would be like, there's, there's six different six or 12, depending on how you count it, different digestive types in human design. Yes. One person might be what we call cold thirst. So they do really well with a lot of hydration, a lot of liquids and foods that are cooler. How it applies to an experiment might be one person who's cold thirst, like loves raw milk because they do fine on dairy, right? And another one might be like, oh, I'm actually a raw vegan. And then another one might be like, I just love cold pizza, right? And so it's like each person is going to experiment with what specifically feels good for them. I see. So what that that type means for them so they can kind of take that yeah or or with responding right it's like what does your response feel like in your body versus someone else like I can't tell you these like very specific details based on who you are how you grew up where you live right now what's influencing you right like we could make I mean this we couldn't actually do this but if we made a copy of you and like plopped you in a different part of the world like you might actually navigate life somewhat differently right Totally. Yeah. There's also, you know, nature versus nurture and all these different things where you grew up, who your parents were, but I like human design as the blueprint for all of that. Mm -hmm. Because depending on where you grew up, who your parents were, all these different things, you still have that blueprint to live by and to feel in touch with yourself, or at least that's how I feel about it. And it is really sad for me that I don't know my actual birth time because I'm so curious about some of the other things. I think my digestion is hot food because mm-hmm. I I love hot food. I love like even in the summer, I love like warm stir fries and things like that. Mm. And if I'm guessing my birth time correctly based on what my parents have said, I think that is my my digestion. So we'll go with that. That's usually what I do with clients who aren't totally sure. I'm like, you know, maybe they're like, I was born between nine and 12, 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. And like, okay, so you could be a, a blah, like an A or a B. And then we talk about it. And usually like probably maybe like 75 to 80% of the time, the person's like, oh no, I'm definitely like B, right? Based on like, just usually how you ate as a kid is a really good place mm. to go back to before, you know, there was mental stuff. Um, and diet yeah. culture. <laughs> yeah, so I love that that's your experience of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different little things that just make so much sense with my chart. And I'm sure so many people will feel that way when they start looking at theirs. So before we start getting into the energy types, because I would like to dive into each one a little bit, just so people can hear what the different ones are. 
how would you say human design is different from something like Meyer Briggs or another personality test? Cause someone might be hearing this and kind of skeptical of what the difference is. What is this just another personality test? What is this? Totally. Um, the human design purist in me is like, definitely not a personality test. Um, I mean, really the reason is in, in my opinion, with personality tests, like I've taken Myers-Briggs over my, the course of my life several times. And like, it's shifted, right? Because personality is externally how we behave um, in some ways. That's one way of defining it, I guess. Your human design doesn't change, right? You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're born when you're born and you get your design from the subatomic particles streaming through the atmosphere. So it's like, this is just how you were imprinted, right? You carry these, if we're gonna go into like the woo spiritual language, you carry these codes based on where and when you were born. And, and that doesn't change. How you express it might change, right? So for example, uh, I'm looking at your chart right now, like you're somebody who can really like talk about things that you find interesting, but the things that you find interesting, what you, those things that you, the content that you talk about might change, but that gift of like self-expression and like, hey, let me share this. And this is so cool. Like, and then everyone gets interested in it. Like, that you will always have wherever you go. That's so me. And that's probably why I have a podcast. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's so true. Because as a manifesting generator as well, I have so many different interests that what I'm talking about is kind of always changing. Mm -hmm. So I love the way that you described that. How do you say human design has affected your life and kind of how you show up in this world? Because you were in tech, you were doing all the right things, quote unquote, but you weren't really feeling like you have reached your true potential. And now it seems like from what I'm getting that you're really living out your purpose and you feel aligned. I feel like we're going to keep coming back to that word alignment because it's so big in human design, you know, feeling aligned with what you came here to be. But Mm -hmm. how would you say that that has impacted you and your journey? Gosh, I think human design has brought me a lot of peace and trust within myself. It's allowed me to see different aspects of myself that maybe I didn't know I was even good at because a lot of times we're like, oh, that just comes so naturally to me, right? I think it's allowed me to have better relationships with people because when we can see other people for their differences and just be like, wow, that's that's how they are, right? Especially with um, maybe family and other people that we're closer to. I mean, yeah, that's so helpful for relationships. Um, and I'm at the point now where like my worldview, human design is embedded in my worldview, right? Like when I move through the world I'm, I'm, there will be so many different times throughout the day where it's like, oh, I'm doing this because of that. Or wow, maybe I acted this way because of that. And maybe they're doing, you know, I'm feeling them and they're probably... And I, it really feels like I'm feeling their sacral energy right now. So really it's colored everything. Um, and, and I think the underlying piece of it is just like when it's given me, human design's given me a language to see like the mosaic of life for what it is. Right. Mm. And so there's no, well, I'm not going to say never cause I'm human too, but there's significantly less temptation to try to fit myself in a box based on what, you know, society or someone else has deemed is safe or correct or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, there is, there's an extreme to, I see some people in the human design space, like, I think sometimes take it too far where it's like human design then becomes the box, right? So it's uh. definitely still a practice, but 
yeah, I think I, I feel like I went off in a few different directions, but that's a little bit about how it's affected my life. Like essentially it's touched every part of my life. Yeah. It, it seems like it's the lens through which you view life and everyone kind of has a different lens. Some people view life through a more religious lens. And I mean, that's not to say you can't do that with human design as well, but it sounds like this is like the foundation or the basis of the way you view the world. Yeah. I mean, to me, human design is like, we're all unique. Um, just be yourself and like love your experience <laughs> and stop struggling um, and trying to push for things, especially from the mind. Right. Right. So I think for me, like it's human design paired with a lot of other modalities. Like I have a spiritual practice and um, I think there's like a level of like somatic, like practical work that pairs really well with human design. Um, and so those are some of the other pieces that, that I've called on. Love it. Well, I think now would be a great time to kind of run through all the different energy types yeah. and um, how they show up differently in the world. Yeah, totally. So of course people can pull up their charts for free online. I'm sure you'll link, um, or people can Google. There's lots of different places and a great place to start is to look at what type you are out of the five types. And so we'll go, we'll just go each one by one. Let's start with the manifestors because they are the type that is really here to initiate things, right? And people hear this and like, oh no, like, but I'm a self-starter, right? And so I just want to like start with human design has its own specific language and vocabulary. So just hold that in mind. And manifestors specifically, they're about a little less than 10% of the population. They have this, this energy and this aura of almost kind of like being a little bulletproof is how I imagine them. Like they have this really strong kind of like, I got to do what I want to do. And like, please don't stop me. I need a lot of freedom. Typically manifestors are paving the way for some new possibility. So mm. famous manifestors have been Frida Kahlo and JK Rowling, um, Donald Trump as well. That one's like a, that one's always like a, a riskier example to <laughs> yeah. use, but like strong energy. Right. And it's like, yeah, just say what they want to do and then they, they do it and they, they can really own it. So their purpose is really to just like be as big and themselves as possible. And a lot of times the adult manifestors I work with have been somehow tried, like been kept small or been told they're too much. Right. Um, when really that's actually their superpower. So manifestors, their strategy, because um, we were talking about each, how each type has a strategy, they're here to initiate and inform. And what that means is really like, you, you want to do something, like go for it, but also like make sure you tell people so that the right crew can come along with you. Um, because yeah. that's part of them leading the way is like, you're not just kind of lone wolfing it. Um, although sometimes you can do that too, if you want, but that, that you're paving a new way so that people can come behind you and also like work on the thing you've started because manifestors, while you can have these big bursts of energy, they're not necessarily here to, to do everything either. Um, really it's the generators and the mani manifesting generators, which we'll get to next that have consistent energy. And so a common thing I see for just the, the manifester, not the MG like you are, is thinking that they need to always be at this like peak level when really there's like ebbs and flows are really important for them. Do you know any manifestors? Interesting. I actually don't. 
Okay. All the people in my life whose charts I've checked are either generators or manifesting generators, which is funny. And I know generators are most of the population. So that's probably why, but I have yet to come across someone close to me. Who's a reflector or a projector or a manifester. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I always like to ask because then sometimes there's like fun stories that come up around like, oh, I know this person, right? Um, right. So that's the investor. And then as you were just talking to um, the generators and the manifesting generators together, you make up about 70% of the population and you, you have the same strategy. So I'll kind of discuss what applies to both types first. And then I'll explain like why manifesting generators are a little different. Um, but so you two types what you have in common is that you have a consistent life force energy that you're always able to tap into. And how this shows up is when you're doing something you enjoy, you, it fills you up. It's like, oh, I love doing this. You'll, you know, maybe finish this conversation and be like, that was great. That was so fun. And you'll like be, you'll, you'll feel that right in your body or other examples. Like I have a, a friend who was in like a new grad program and she was like, oh my gosh, I just started. And I'm so excited about this. Like I don't even want to sleep right now. I just need to like read my books, right? Because oh that, that life force energy is responding to all the fun things, all the things that they enjoy doing. And so both generators and MGs, you have this superpower of being able to create and build like a whole world around you of what you love doing. And the, like, it sounds, sometimes I tell people this and they're like, that sounds so nice, but like, that's not serious enough. Or like, that can't really be it. But like, really it is, right? Because think about how potent your energy is when you're doing something you enjoy and just like how there for it you are versus when you force yourself to do something that you're not. And it's like, you're not even your full you when you're, when you're doing something that's a no, right? So this is the central ch challenge or guide like guiding framework with which to view your life as a generator mg is what is your gut so that life force energy is really located in sort of second chakra gut area how is it responding to what's presenting in you and your strategy is is that it's to respond to life so you don't necessarily need to go out and force things to happen to chase things that's in some ways much more of like the manifestor's job, right? They're just like, oh, I got to go do it. It's like, you know, and they like punch through a wall. Whereas for the generator, it's like you get to sit there and like when you're enjoying your life, the, the glow of your energy, I imagine it is like this inner fire allows, draws things to you. And then you're just like, oh, cool. Yes, this, no, not that. And the more you can say no to <clears throat> the things that aren't aligned that you don't have energy for it, the more space you have for the things that you do enjoy. And so that leads to feeling really good, really satisfied is the word we use in human design uh, versus frustrated, which is when you, you know, you really like your energy is like, uh, like, I don't want to do this. Or like, why am I doing this? I hate this, etc. So yeah. And, and as an MG, I'm curious to hear from you, how has knowing this been? So I have a question for you as well on the, yeah. on the satisfaction and frustration, but I'll tell you first about my experience with being an MG. So as a manifesting generator, when I found out that that's what I was, it just made complete sense because I'm always kind of all over the place. Sometimes it seems like in my head and in the things that I'm interested in. And I mean, it's, it's interesting because my interests have all had this sort of umbrella of, 
self-improvement, health, wellness, nutrition, but so many different things within that, which is interesting. But I think that it just gave me permission to follow whatever interests me and then let go of it when it stops interesting me. Because Mm -hmm. I used to be really hard on myself, telling myself that I shouldn't, you know, stop doing this thing or that I should just stick it out and finish and, you know, but that's actually not going to be serving me in the long term. And what I learned also was that I can learn things very quickly as an MG, which I I think is very true. I think I can pick up on things very quickly and just kind of get the gist of it and then move on, which I used to think was maybe not as good. Like, oh, maybe I should research this a bit more or maybe I should you know, take a course on it, but sometimes I didn't need to do that. And I just, from my own diving into something, it just kind of ingrained itself into me. So I think that it just gave me permission to live my life this way. It also gave me permission to have 15 books on my bedside table, all of them unfinished because I'll start reading a book and then get interested in something else and start reading that book. And it's a whole thing. But I think that like I said, the biggest thing is that it's allowed me to do that without any shame. And I used to have a lot of shame. I used to have a lot of negative self-talk about, you know, why aren't you doing this? Or why, why don't you continue doing this? Why'd you quit that? And that's the main thing that I've gotten from being an MG, I think. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And, and I feel like in sharing that you described some of the MG specific pieces, which is, you know, generators typically, there, there's um it really depends on like some of the details of your chart but some could because sometimes I'll get generators that are like but I'm I like different things I'm multi-passionate and so you know the multi-passionate label that we specifically give to MGs um we can all be multi-passionate but but the right. difference is that when you meet I I can feel the difference when it, I meet an MG it's like the thing that your gut is excited about has to be expressed and acted on immediately there's like this um yeah, there's just this, this like, kind of like quickness of like switching between things that's uh, part of being a manifesting generator. So some of those manifesting qualities that we were talking about for the manifester before, but for an MG, your strategy is still to respond because as soon as you have that consistent life force energy, that, that sacral energy, you got to make sure that it's on board with what you want to do. And if something is a no, like, don't do it. Right. So Yeah, thanks for sharing that. What was your question? Hey, everyone. I'm just going to take a quick break from the episode to tell you about today's sponsor, Magic Mind. So I mentioned Magic Mind in the beginning of the episode, but I want to talk about it right now. It's this incredible biohacking tool. And you guys, this actually works. Like I use this stuff all the time and it's so effective. So Magic Mind is this really cool company. They were founded by Silicon Valley investor and entrepreneur James Bashara. If you guys are familiar with tech, he's huge in tech and he's founded lots of super cool companies, including this one. So the product Magic Mind is full of all natural ingredients. It's a tiny little shot bottle, kind of like a ginger shot you get at the grocery store. And it is full of adaptogens, which help decrease stress, nootropics, which are substances that boost blood flow to the brain and cognition, and matcha, which helps keep you focused and provides a lighter amount of caffeine than regular energy drinks would or a cup of coffee would. There's 50 milligrams, it's minimal caffeine, and it all comes from matcha tea. 
and it helps you drink less coffee as well. Quitting coffee is hard, as you know, and Magic Mind helps to increase productivity while reducing coffee cravings and preventing that caffeine crash. So the extra productivity and focus from Magic Mind allow you to be more successful, conquer your to-do lists faster, and give you more time to spend with loved ones and really help fight off procrastination, as well as brain fog, fatigue, and even some ADD symptoms. And it's best when consumed after three to seven days of continuous use, and that's how I saw the most effects. I really started seeing more productivity after a few days. And you can drink it all at once, just chug it. You can drink it as a matcha latte. You can sip it throughout the morning, whatever you want to do. I personally chug it all at once with my morning cup of matcha, so I get double the caffeine. But there's no wrong way to drink this stuff. So I'm really excited to be working with them. I'm so excited to have such an aligned company to be working with Thoughts on Thriving as our first sponsor. And if you guys are interested in trying magic mind which i highly highly recommend you do you can go to www.magicmind.co not com co slash thriving that is www.magicmind.co slash thriving and you can also just use code thriving 20 for 20 percent off of your purchase at magicmind.co Once again, the discount code is THRIVING20, T-H-R-I-V-I-N-G-2-0 for 20% off. You guys are going to love it. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. Now back to the podcast with Victoria. So my question was, what if there's something that you have to do and it's not lighting you up? You're getting that frustration feeling when it's a no, but it's something that you you have to do and have to get through to get to maybe where you want to be or just some like school. You have to do it as a kid. You can't yeah. just not go to school. I know that's a silly example, but something like that. What would you say to a manifesting generator or a generator who is going through that situation? Totally. So, okay, there's two things I want to say about this. One is, and this is less direct and then I'll get to the actual answer. One is, there's nothing wrong with feeling you're not self-themed. So in, in what I mean by not self-themed is like the frustration for the generators and MGs for manifestors, it's anger. I don't know if I had said that earlier. Oh, interesting. No. Yeah. So uh, for projectors, it's bitterness. And then for reflectors, it's disappointment. So the words that I just named off there, we can all feel them, but for your specific type, that, that sensation, that feeling is going to be like especially a central theme. So for an MG, like frustration is a clear sign. You're not using your life force energy the way it wants to be used. However, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing when you experience it because life naturally has its, its growth cycles, right? Like you might be so excited to learn the ukulele and you're like, I'm loving it. I'm so satisfied. And then you're in like week five of a six week course. And you're like, Oh, like, I don't want to be on this this class right now, right? And that's fine. That's actually amazing that you're feeling frustrated because it's just giving you information, right? Um, or you might master something and then, like you said, you pick things up so quickly. You might master it and then be like, okay, I'm over it. So I just want to say that, first of all, um, because I don't want people to think like, oh, I need to never feel uh, you know, frustration, bitterness. I'm, I'm doing my design wrong if I feel angry. That's not the case at all. It's just part of life. Um, in terms of the question itself, so there is, this is, this goes back to like the idea of it being an experiment because a lot of times people will ask me this question and I'll, 
ask them like, okay, so is there a specific example? And then we kind of go into it more and there becomes a point where it's like, wait, maybe I could say no. So like with your school example, right? Like, let's say, you know, I mean, I don't think you're at, like, I, I don't think you're at the age where you have a bunch of friends with kids yet. No. <laughs> let's say like someone had a kid and they're, the kid's like, I don't want to go to school. Like, I hate it. It's like, okay, well, maybe we don't, maybe we homeschool you. Like, do you really have to go to school? And of course, like, you know, I'm thinking of my parents, possibly your parents, like that's not an option. Right. <laughs> but <No. laughs> the people listening now, um, you know, a decade from now, they've gotten really into their human design and they have their own kid. And it's like, yeah, do we, do we really need to do this thing that everyone says that we need to? So that's like the first thing is like just challenging that a little bit. Another example I had of a conversation I had was like, someone was like, oh, I, you know, I hate going to the post office to drop off all my return packages. I mean, I don't know anyone that likes doing that, but <laughs> like, what if you hired a task rabbit to do it? Right. Like, do you yeah. do it? So there's that. Um, that said, of course, there are situations where that is a reality, right? Um, paying taxes, I think is a good example. <clears throat> oh, that's so, a great example. <laughs> in that, in that case, it's how can you find the parts of it that do light you up? Because sometimes it is a mental reframe, right? So maybe you love a certain snack or something. So you like get the snack out as you do your taxes and you turn on your favorite playlist and like you take a dance break every 10 minutes or something, right? And like, it doesn't have to be as frustrating as um, maybe it is in the current moment, right? I love that kind of making things that aren't lighting you up as fun as possible. So at least you're not miserable throughout the way. But that's the second, like, that's point two. I think point one is really like, first, like, do you really have to do it? And that's what I want to emphasize. Yeah, because I think a lot of people just kind of, they don't realize that there's nothing that they have to do. Yeah. Um, One of my mentors always says that to me. He says, Ava, there's nothing that you have to do. Like everything is, is a choice. And I think that that's really important to kind of hone in on because even the school example, you're right. I mean, I said we have to go to school, but you're, we don't, we don't necessarily have to. So thank you for clarifying that. And that's a big piece of what I think is really radical about human design too, is like, I mean, when I think specifically about adults learning human design and like human design parenting, it's like, well, what if you just let your kid be, for example, like their full manifest herself and they get to call all the shots on like what they want to do. Right. There's no like, you need to wear this, you need to eat the snack or whatever. So it really can change a lot. Yeah. I bet that's a really amazing way to parent, to really let your kid become their true self at mm-hmm. such a young age. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, so that's the generator manifest manifesting generator. Was there anything else you wanted me to touch on there? I think the difference between the two, I know we talked about the multi hyphenate, multi-passionate manifesting generators is there anything specifically about generators that so you wanted to touch on so so when you look into like the chart specifically the the manifesting generator what they have is they'll have energy connected to the throat so they'll be like one of the centers with a line connected and that's not the case for generators so this is why there's also like a spectrum within manifesting generators some are like more manifestory than others, right? Yes. Um, so it really just depends on the chart. But I would say like, and this is in general, because there are certain parts of someone's design that might make them 
more multi-passionate, but in general, generators will have like a few things that that will be like their thing that they master, right? So they're more masters of a couple things compared to generators or manifesting generators. Right. Because the MG is much more like, I'm going to learn 10 things and then they'll put it together. You'll put it together in your own way. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. And then what about projectors and reflectors? Yeah. So projectors are about 20% of the population and their purpose is really here to, to guide energy. So with projectors and reflectors, these two types in particular are really not here to like do and create as much, right? Because we, and I say we, cause I'm a projector, we could be doing our favorite thing in the world and it is still draining. So instead right. we're really here to offer like our guidance, how we see things. And a lot of times like projector and generator MG, like either couples or like business relationships. I see a lot of that cause it just goes together really well where one person's like, I see the way and the other one's like, great, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go do it now. Um, so the thing with projectors is because we are really here to help other people via what we see, via our advice and our guidance, there's a really strong desire to be successful. So mm. whereas generators, MGs are seeking satisfaction, projectors are seeking success and a way to really find that without the bitterness, which is the not self, uh, the, dis- the, the, I'm trying to use confusing words. I was going to say the disappointment, the frustration, but that's not, <laughs> I'm going to take that back. Um, just, just feeling unseen, right? Feeling like, oh, my people aren't appreciating my gifts is to follow their strategy, which is to wait for the invitation. Mm. There's, I could talk for like 30 minutes on wait for the invitation <laughs> alone because there's so much nuance there. Right. A lot of times people hear it and they're like, oh, well, there's two reactions usually. One is great. I don't have to put myself out there anymore because I've been burned. Um, the other one is, oh no, I can't be successful now. I just have to like sit around and like, who's going to notice me? Um, and really it's it's neither of those extremes, right? There's a lot that a projector can do without needing other people to invite them. But there is a key point around if you're not feeling recognized, like maybe you should take your gifts elsewhere. Um, a lot of times projectors will find resistance in like trying to get convince someone that they're so brilliant or like working way too hard at, you know, a job to like get the hit of like um, some sort of praise mm-hmm. when it should come. Like the beauty of being a projector is it starts to flow really effortlessly when you can discern what an invitation is. So yeah, that's a little bit about the projectors. How would you say you live your design as a projector? I think that, okay, so it's been like five years since I've been with human design. And <laughs> I think the first couple of years was just discerning like, okay, what does an invitation feel like? Because in the beginning, you know, that's not how I was living. And now I don't even really consciously think about it that much I, I just feel it I'm like oh this person clearly doesn't care what I have to say so I'm gonna not say anything um or like oh wow this random person reached out to me like great um so it's become a lot more automated the thing that actually feels a lot more present is just whenever decisions come up I'm checking in with my authority which is not the gut or the sacral, which is, well, you're, you're an emotional authority. So never mind. Yeah. But my, 
myothority is um, what's called the spleen in human design. And so it's oh. a quieter kind of intuitive knowing. And that for me, sometimes still, even now can sound like the mind. So there's a lot of just sitting with it, feeling it, experimenting, right? Like, oh, in this situation, was it my mind or my spleen? In that situation, was it my mind or my spleen? So that's what my human design experiment looks like right now. Awesome. That's so fascinating. I love the the discernment piece of that because I think it's really important to kind of sift through what you what might be your intuition, what might just be that chatter in your mind. And mm-hmm. it's really hard in the beginning, I think, with any kind of authority, whether it's like you said, the more subtle, splenic intuition versus even for me, my emotions, even my mind can get in the way of my emotions sometimes. And I still won't be able to tell which is my intuition. Yeah. 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 With emotional authority, it's from what I can observe challenging because the emotions are so real in the moment. Yeah. Like, this is how I feel. This is truth. Um, but then they change. Right. Right. So it's like the duality of being like, yes, this is my experience. I'm here for it. I'm feeling it without getting caught in the storm of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about emotionals versus non-emotionals, because that's different from having an emotional authority, correct? So when, okay, so the other, so we're talking about type, which is a huge foundational piece. Yes. The other piece is what's called your authority. So you want to follow your strategy and your authority. Strategy is like, okay, how do I move through the world? And then authority is, what do I listen to within myself to follow my strategy? So you, for example, will respond to things, but you're going to respond after you've gotten to a place of emotional neutrality, mm-hmm. right? Because your authority is emotional. Where, And for me, I'm going to wait for the invitation, but I'm discerning if something's an invitation or not based on what my spleen is telling me. So that's what the authority is. And there's seven different major flavors. And when you are an emotional authority you have your emotional center colored in or defined in your chart. So when you're an emotional, you are automatically an emotional authority. When you're not emotional, you could be any of the other six authorities. Well, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you're a non-emotional. Correct. Okay. And for someone listening, who's probably super confused, what is an emotional versus a non-emotional? What's that center filled in versus not filled in? It's going to be the most systems will have this in in brown. It'll be a brown triangle on the right side of the chart and it's called the solar plexus or the emotional center. Mm-hmm. So if it's colored in, you're an emotional authority. If you're if it's white, then you're not, non-emotional. And I actually don't love the term non-emotional. I, I like to say like you're undefined um, or, or just open there because when we say non-emotional, then it gives off the connotation, I think, that undefined solar plexus people like don't don't have emotions and it's like we all have emotions right that's not true (laughs) Um, and in some cases the undefined emotional will feel even more emotional or be perceived as like more dramatic than the emotional because they're feeling what everybody else is feeling and then amplifying it Mm. so essentially wherever you're colored in is where you have consistent energy and wherever you're white is where you can feel what's around you So in the case of the emotional center, emotionals are always creating emotional energy. Like you will always have this this up and down and there are some days you feel good and some days you feel low and it's not necessarily because of anything. Although some 
something might happen that triggers the feelings difference there. (laughs) Whereas the undefined emotional, when we're on our own and there's nothing happening with like, you know, the energy of other people that we're feeling, or, or if you go deeper into like planetary transits, our steady state is neutral. So that's, yeah, that's the difference. Does that, do you want me to keep going or do that? No, that totally answers the question. And I think it's a good segue to kind of dive into reflectors a bit because what I've heard, and I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Reflectors have all of their centers or all of their, you know, the, the boxes in the, (laughs) in the chart open so that none of them are defined. Correct. All of the centers in a reflectors chart are white. So if you think of somebody that has everything colored in, they're like always showing up that way. Mm -hmm. A reflector is always feeling what's going on around them and can constantly be changing in, you know, what part of them is kind of like more present when they're around different people, different parts of them can be brought out. They're really like, I think of like an orchid in the rainforest, right? It's like so sensitive and they can sense everything that's going on in the environment. If there's like pollution in the water, the orchid's dead, right? right. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't mean to make a joke of that because they're, I don't want to feed into this story that reflectors are so sensitive and that being being open or undefined in your chart is, sense, is, a, is a bad thing. Um, in some ways, reflectors are actually the most resilient because they're not tied to being anything. Like they can be everything, right? And in that there's this really interesting paradox of like, they can be everything and so they're nothing, right? They're always changing. And they're the most rare, they're about 1% of the population. And so their purpose, because they can be ever shifting is they can feel like what is going on for the collective. So I think of them traditionally as like, the person who like knows everyone in the village and can like tell people like, Hey, here's what's up. Like we're not doing so well with X, Y, Z. Right. And it's so important for a reflector to really be around people. They feel good around um, live somewhere that feels good because they're taking everything in. And if it doesn't feel good, they're literally not literally, but they're in some ways becoming things that don't feel good to them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So the reflector, I know the reflector and every, every reflector I know is completely different from any other reflector, right? Because they're all their own, they're all their own thing and they're reflecting their unique environment and community that they're in. And the reflector strategy is to wait for a lunar cycle before deciding anything. Wow. So they're waiting a long time. (laughs) Their pace in life is also totally different because they're, because they're so open, they're actually deeply affected by the moon. And as the moon Mm. moves through its 28 day cycle, they feel into different parts of themselves. And so how they, like, you might, you have a taste of it as an emotional authority, right? Like how they feel about a decision will feel very different on day one versus day 14. Right. And so they have to go through that whole journey to get the full perspective on like, do I want to do this? Right. Yeah. So (laughs) how it's it sounds like it might be difficult for a reflector to live in this fast-paced world we live in how would you say if someone finds out they're a reflector today they're probably like oh no I have to wait all this time and how am I going to live my life this way in this world or at least that's what's coming up for me so that could just be a projection but I would imagine someone hearing that would be just curious as to how they can live their life as a reflector yeah well you know I, I believe that people 
first of all, if it doesn't resonate, you know, definitely don't force it. Totally. Um, the people who find out their reflectors that I end up talking to, typically it's a mix of like relief, right? Because it's like, oh my gosh, like I don't have to define myself. I don't have to explain like, or I understand why, like I can get along with so many different people and have so many different groups of friends. And also what, why maybe like my pace is just so different. And so yet again, you know, you get to experiment and I think a big piece of it is just embracing, like, I don't have to be like everyone else in my pace. And from there, like, that's where your gifts open up. Right. Because, you know, you're not trying to be an MG, for example, you just get to be your reflector self and we don't need to all expect the same thing from different people. So for example, I don't, yeah, I don't expect my reflector friends to get back to me immediately. Right. And that's okay because I love them for different reasons and being very prompt to reply. Yeah. Got it. So with that, with all the energy types kind of being reviewed, I think another thing that really affected me when I learned about my human design was the profile lines. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we'll have time to go over all of them, but maybe we can talk about a few or just kind of what they are and why they're important in terms of how we're, we're being seen and how we're showing up in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about your profile since everyone knows you on your show. Okay, cool. You're a five one, right? And so profile I think of as like how we express ourselves and it also relates to, to karma as well. Um, is how it's referred to in, in human design. It's like kind of like our mission, our purpose. And there's about 60% of the population, I think that's about right, um, that's here to really like go through life and learn something, go through their own learning process, learn like what their gifts are. And then from that ripples out their impact. And then about um, a third-ish, I think that's right. It's like a third to 40%, somewhere in that range. Um, are what's called transpersonal profiles. And so five, one is one of them. I'm also, I'm a six, two. So when the number is bigger, so if you're a five, one, five, two, six, two, six, three, we really are driven to have an impact on the collective. And then from that, we feel like we're living our purpose. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's one way in which profile applies. And each of the numbers is its own archetype. So every, every profile is two numbers. You as a five, one, the fifth line is all about like really being able to, to provide a solution to the masses. Like people really like will see you as somebody who's, you know, really competent, uh, can solve the problem. It's kind of got this like hero energy. The traditional nickname for the fifth line is the heretic, which sounds scary because you're like, ooh, burned at the stake. Yeah. I forgot that. Um, but there is this, there's this aspect of like people see you and want to be saved by you. And sometimes it's, and there can be the risk, let's say, of your reputation um, being poorly received when you don't live up to other people's projections and expectations of you. So some common, specifically five, one things that I see are like, not everybody can always see like all of you. Like they don't necessarily see the vulnerable parts of you. They just see that like, you know, she's got it. She's, she's handling it. and also a like, wait, what do people really think about me? Like sometimes even a suspicion of like, are they trying to get something from me, right? Because you really want to make sure that the things you commit to and say yes to, you can actually deliver on. Totally. So 
Yeah. So that's I feel that. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything coming up for you around that? Yeah. I just think that I have always tried to fix things. So mm-hmm. that kind of makes sense with what you're saying. I've always been like someone who wants to fix other people's problems. I've become a lot better about that now, but I think growing up, that was a big thing for me. And mm-hmm. I've, I grew up a major people pleaser, still trying to deal with that now. And I've become a lot better, but I think that people pleasing side of me comes from the part of me that wants to fix people's problems. Mm. Well, and I'll also add though, that other people see you as the fixer. Right. So it's even easier for me to do that. (laughs) Right. Right. Because that's the thing, like, you know, there's no specific, I just want to clarify, there's no specific design associated to being a people pleaser, for example. Right. Um, But part of the fifth line is like, people, people see, other people will see you as someone who can help them. Right. So it's like, they're projecting onto you and then you get to decide but that's the thing you got to decide and and that's where like the the emotional authority and like what does your gut say can help a lot versus like oh I'm just people pleasing and actually my gut saying no I don't want to help my friend move or whatever right because I used to say yes to everything and I think that definitely was not great for my mental well-being and just being in alignment I think it was definitely something I had to get over And I think that COVID really helped with that in a weird way, because Mm -hmm. I think it just gave me the space to kind of understand which people are meant to be in my life and which people I'm actually meant to say yes to and which people maybe I was doing it for the wrong reasons with. Yeah. And all great learnings, right? Necessary. Of course. Yeah. So that's the first line is more about you being a researcher, like first lines love to have a foundation of information, the facts, like they feel solid to you and you can go deep on something. Um, You know, I I think of five ones I know and they're like, it's not that you research everything, but like when you're motivated, especially to feel safe and secure, you're like, all right, I'm gonna figure everything out and we're gonna have a plan. And this is, you know, and and you can be like a great recommender of products, for example, if you're into that, (laughs) into that space. Oh, I am into that space. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So that's what the first line is all about. Is like, let yourself research the things that you're into because you will find information out that other people literally can't find. Right. I a hundred percent. (laughs) Yes. I dive deep into things that I find and find myself in rabbit holes of information. I'm a product junkie. I'm always recommending things to people. So that definitely feels aligned for me. So I love that. I love the way you described that. And I, I heard somewhere that the first number is how you project yourself into, onto the world, how people see you. And the, the second number in your profile is more how you feel about yourself. Is that it's, correct? It, it's, it's a flip. It's flipped. So the black- oh, is it the other way around? So when you look at your chart, you'll see like a black row of numbers down the right and a, a red down the left. Mm-hmm. And everything in black is referred to as the personality, the mind and the conscious. So that first number in your profile is how you think of yourself. You're, you're aware of okay. it is, is how I'd think about it because the black side of your chart comes from your actual birthday. So it's like you're born, sun hits you, right? Like, you know, you know that that happened. <laughs> the, the red side of your chart is 88 days before your birthday. So it's when you're still in utero and oh. the red side is referred to as the design, the body, the unconscious. So that first line part, other people, it's like other people can see your physical body, right? So other people will see 
you more as the second number in your profile. And these are generalizations, right? Because, you know, especially for people probably listening to this podcast, you are into your own personal development and growth. So you probably are aware of many different parts of yourself. So you're aware that you're a first line, for example, but it's going to be a little more automatic and less something you think about. You don't identify with it as much. Like everything in black, you tend to identify more with, whereas the red chart, the red side is like, that's just, that's just happening. That's just how I am. Like, this is my hand, right? This is my face or whatever. Got it. Okay. Interesting. I actually didn't know about that. And for people who maybe aren't five ones like me, how many different combinations are there? What what are the different numbers? You don't have to get into what each of yeah, them. Yeah, so there's there's twelve different pro- combinations of profiles or okay. just twelve different profiles. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And you as a six two is that one? I'm pretty sure the sixes are they kind of know everything inherently. Is that is that correct? Yeah. I don't know where that came from. I think there's probably many ways to interpret it. The one okay. is, so this one through six is everywhere within human design. This is the part that comes from the I Ching. And so, you know, when we say like the one is the foundation, so I'm, I'm Chinese American, right? It's like when you write calligraphy, like you're writing from the bottom up. So that's like another piece of the one being the foundation. Six is the end. And so the sixth line profile is referred to as the role model because we actually end the process and we're like looking back, what are all the lessons? And then how can I just embody the lessons? So the reason why the five one and five two are another part of like this transpersonal thing is the fifth line actually can access the most number of people even more so than the sixth line. Because if you think about like the life cycle of any process, you get to the point where you're like, yeah, we like, we learned, we experimented, and now I have the solution and everybody should use it. Like that's fifth line energy. (laughs) Fifth line's like, yeah, it works for most people, but I'm just going to live and let live. Like if it works for, it's very like you do you energy, right? Okay. So as a six, two, um, you know, there's that part of me, the role model. So it's like, I have my own experience and I have my three different life phases, um, uh, you know, of which it ends with really embodying what I've learned. And the second line is more about the natural. So whereas the first line is going out to learn, the second line has within what it already knows and is naturally good at. Okay, maybe that's what I was thinking of, the kind of inherent knowing of things. Yeah, and, you know, depending on where where the person has this second line, um, there's still a development process. Like, you know, your talent still might need to be nurtured, for example. Mm. But it's just that there's some sort of like, it just comes naturally to you. And when you, yeah, and you don't necessarily need to go out and research so much. But there's there's caveats to that too. Like if you're a projector and we all have a different way we're motivated. So for example, I'm a 6'2", but I love learning because I have a first line or first color motivation. So not to complicate things. <laughs> right. It's so complex. There's so many different layers to the chart that we're not even going to have time to get into today. I wish we did. You don't need but... to, for people to feel, yeah. to feel like really good about their designer to be able to make meaningful changes. I know there's so much to dive into when it comes to human design and just like, like I said, so many little subtleties. So if someone was listening to this and, you know, you piqued their interest with the energy types, maybe the personality lines or the, yeah, the personality lines, that's what they're called, right? Profile lines. (laughs) Profile lines. Thank you. 
what would you say people should start with when they're hearing all this information? Should they master their energy type first or maybe their profile lines, their digestion? What do you recommend? I mean, the answer is whatever, whatever calls to you, right? Because it's like going back to human design tenets. It's like, oh, you're going to do what feels right for you. I think a great place to start is the type strategy and authority because, you know, but, but you might experiment with it and be like, oh, I really want to talk to someone about what's happening, right? Like I get some people that are like, I learned about human design last week and I just want like to know what's true for me. And then I also get com people coming through my door that are like, I've been studying human design by myself for two years and now I want to put it together, right? So it's just like, whatever feels right for you. There's so many free resources um, online. I have a free guide for people to use their design to avoid burnout because I find that we're, many of us are... Yes. Um, you know, just pushing in various ways. Um, I also have a podcast and people can sign up for my email newsletter. So there's lots of different ways to get in touch there. Um, and then just, you know, good old internet resources too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'll link to everything. And I just had a couple questions before we ended, if, if that's all right with you, I know we have a few minutes left. I just kind of high level wanted to know and ask you, cause I know this is something that you talk about creating more ease and flow in our days, how mm -hmm. would you say that we can create that with human design? What do you think is the key to creating more ease and flow? Well, I think a lot of the opposite, which would be like resistance, struggle, pushing, frustration comes from forcing ourselves to do things we don't want to do, right? And when you know your design and you can start thinking about the world from a perspective of, for example, in your case, oh, if I don't have the energy to do it, like maybe I just don't need to do it. That frees up a lot of energy, a lot of space, right? And so I don't wanna pretend that it's like, oh, follow your design and like all your problems are fixed tomorrow, right? Or whatever. Right. But it's more of this experiment, this living practice of, oh, where am I forcing things that maybe aren't actually true for me and can I tune back into the consistent parts of me that will always guide me towards what I have in your case the energy for or in my case as a projector what will allow me to feel most seen which is what what I'm really craving so I don't think alignment is this place that we we like get there and then we're done <laughs> it's an ongoing evolution and human design gives us the like the playbook, the blueprint, whatever you want to call it to navigate back to that place as we continue to grow and evolve in our lives. Amazing answer. Thank you. <laughs> um, so another thing that I kind of heard in your answer was, you know, getting your design down completely correctly or, or you know, down to the T isn't going to solve all your problems. And I feel like I see a lot of people online trying to live their design super strictly and mm. they take it so literally. And it just, to me, it seems like it might be another aspect of life to control. Mm. So how can we use human design to improve our lives without allowing it to control us while still staying in the driver's seat? Yeah. Yeah. I am tempted to like, this might be, um, a little bit of a frustrating answer, but like I'm tempted to not give any any generalizations because everyone's going to be at their own point on a journey, right? Like in the same way, 
let's say you know that you have celiac and you're like, I got to go gluten-free, right? And in the beginning, you're super strict about it because you're like, I have to do this and I don't, you know, I need to like become unaddicted to to cookies or whatever. But then at a certain point, you're like, oh, like I kind of have it automated in my lifestyle. And I actually, maybe this isn't the best example because I feel like someone with celiac really shouldn't have gluten, but like maybe you get to the point where you're like, oh, it's like I can have a cookie and I'm not going to like fall off the train. But there was nothing wrong with being a little bit stricter in the beginning. Right. And I think that for, I think about my own journey and there was a time when I was like, oh my God, everything was, is this an invitation or not? And now I don't have to think about it anymore, but it doesn't mean that that wasn't a valuable part of, of it all. Right. And I think the, the more interesting question is what does it feel like for you when you can sense you're being over controlling versus this feels good? Interesting. Yeah. I love that answer. Cause I feel like someone in my head, I would kind of jump to the gun of like, you know, let go of control, kind of do what feels right for you. But I actually like that you said that control sometimes can serve us in our journeys. And that's just part of the process. Maybe in the beginning, when you find something like human design, maybe you do want to dive really deep into it and be kind of stricter with it so that you can get a hang of it, get a grasp of it. And maybe now like you, it's more intuitive for you, it seems like. Yeah. And, and, you know, when we make these generalizations of like, oh, it seems like everyone on the internet is taking their experiments so seriously. I'm like, well, you know, I want to know, this is maybe like my gate 48 in the depth. And like, I'm so reticent to be like, this should be something that everyone does, you know? So yeah, I think, what does it feel like for you? And if it's not feeling, you know, fun in your case, then maybe revisit, but yeah. Amazing. Well, I think that was the perfect thing to end on and to get people started on their journeys. And like you said, you have all these resources online. There's free resources. They can come to your site, get that free resource with the burnout. And where can people find you and, you know, work with you and yeah. like that find you on social media? Yep. So I'm on Instagram at victoriajane.hd. Um, and yeah, if you want to reach out for a session, I love supporting people and having a, a more nuanced conversation about like what's going on with you and in your life. Um, and then I also have video courses and if people want to learn and just kind of take things in passively, I've got a podcast. So all that stuff is linked in my bio and yeah, feel free to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. And before we end today, if you have a couple minutes, I have five rapid fire questions I like to ask everyone at the end of every episode, if that's all right with you. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay. So the first one is what's your favorite fruit? Hmm. Okay. (laughs) This is a con. I'm like, so I'm a taste determination in human. Oh, no way. Okay. I have strong preferences about fruit and California. like, there's so much amazing fruit. So this is not like a simple answer for me. Oh, I, I feel you. I'm a fruit. I'm obsessed and yeah. I'm very picky. Love it. So right now specifically, I'm really into mangoes, but I think if we were zooming out for like an all time thing, it would be some kind of, some kind of stone fruit, maybe like an heirloom pluot. Um, but then there's also Ooh. like just really good, um, not your like grocery store strawberries, but again, like some sort of like heirloom varietal of strawberry, like can't go wrong with that either. So no, you cannot like a good <laughs> farmer's market strawberry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
Love it. Okay. So what's your sun sign? I'm a Libra sun and Sag rising and Cap moon. Love it. I'm a Libra rising. Mm. Love, love the Libras. And what is one book that changed your life that you would recommend to everyone? Mm. There's so many, there's so many good books. So right now, a part of my personal practice that I'm developing is the practice of prayer. And so I've been reading, there's a few different books by a woman named Pixie Lighthorse, and she has different like prayer books. And I didn't grow up in a super religious household. So it's been really, I don't, I mean, this is, this is really more the most recent book that's been interesting. I don't know that it's, it's too early to say if it's changed my life forever, but I feel good about sharing about this book because it's just, it's so beautiful. And um, we don't, I don't have that many examples of people praying really well. So I've been really enjoying it. Is it uh, associated with a certain religion or just kind of more of a spiritual mm-hmm. text? She has a Native American lineage oh, and interesting. prayers are organized by the four directions, which shows up in a lot of shamanic traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And what is one habit or ritual that you do every day that's a non-negotiable for you? Sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. And the last question is, what are your thoughts on thriving? So what do you think the key to thriving is? Mm. Being true to yourself. Love it. Simple, short and sweet, but so true. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much, Victoria. This was so lovely having you on the podcast and just kind of getting to dive deep into a topic that I'm so interested in. And I know others will be just as interested in as well. So thank you for your time. I'm so grateful. And I really hope everyone comes over to your page to learn a little bit more about human design and kind of connect with you a little bit further because Victoria has really great visuals on her Instagram, more details on what we talked about today. So if you're curious at all, definitely go over to her page. I have loved following her. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to share. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good rest of your day, everyone. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye.